Welcome back to the Gold Factor Podcast, your guide and gateway to a life of purpose and fulfillment. I'm your host, Bernadette Gold, transformation and high performance coach, here to lead you through another chapter of my audiobook, The Crooked Path to a Charm Life, a clairvoyant medium's journey to embracing her spiritual gifts. Now, remember, each episode of season one is a new chapter in the book as we traverse the realms of the seen and the unseen. So let's dive in and continue our adventure together. It's time to think bigger, feel deeply, and act boldly. Chapter 13, Creating a Magical Life. Four months had passed since Brindy entered the foster care system. Wrestling with sadness, guilt, and grief, I began growing on many levels, and my new job afforded me many new opportunities. Getting hired as director of business development for an all-female equipment leasing company was exciting. Susan, the company president, had hired me as head of the sales and marketing team. I worked tirelessly to prove my worth. Since I had no college degree, although I had a portfolio of successful marketing materials, one side of the business was for recruiting investors. The other side, leased equipment to companies. The work was fun, and the pay was great. Yet, I struggled with imposter syndrome daily. One day, accidentally, I discovered Susan was a believer in the spirit realm. Walking into her office, overcome by the smell of a pipe with cherry tobacco, yet not seeing smoke, I froze in confusion. I stood in the middle of her large office, turning in a circle, sniffing the air. She looked up from her desk and asked what I was doing. I asked her if she smoked a pipe. She broke into laughter that quickly turned to tears as she confessed that her late grandfather smoked. Then she asked if I was a medium. Shit, my secret's out, I thought to myself. I shrugged my shoulders, dropped the signed documents I held onto her desk, and quickly exited her office. Feeling uneasy, I returned to my office, grabbed my purse, phone, and headed out for lunch. I felt like running home and hiding as if I had done something wrong, triggering an old fear. I made my way out of the building, almost dumping my purse as I frantically searched for a cigarette and lighter. I lit up and started walking briskly without any specific direction in mind. My thoughts were racing. What was I afraid of? Images from childhood began to flood my mind. I had flashes of angels, transparent spirits, and invisible friends that were my allies. Then, the images and sounds of my mother's voice scaring me into secrecy. Making my way to a park bench, I grabbed a journal out of my purse and began writing everything down. The pipe smell, the images, the fear that I had done something wrong. I was terrified I was losing my mind. Yet, writing it all down somehow gave me peace. I decided to find a metaphysical store 
on my way home. I needed to find a book or maybe ask questions about it. When I returned to the office, I searched the yellow pages and found a metaphysical shop located just five miles away. All I had to do was make it through that strange day and get to the shop. Following the store clerk's directions over the phone, I stood in front of a glass storefront window dressed with crystal balls, stones, books, and tarot cards. I was excited to go in. My energy calmed as soon as I entered. Incense was burning, relaxing music was playing, and the woman behind the counter smiled as she greeted me. She asked if I was looking for something specific. Feeling comfortable, I told her the events that brought me to the store. Her face lit up as she raised one finger, signaling for me to wait. She grabbed a cordless phone and walked to a back room. When the clerk emerged five minutes later, she told me someone wanted to speak to me. Speak to me? About what? I said in confusion. The front door to the shop opened, and a friendly brown-skinned man dressed in white walked in. He immediately approached me, grabbed my hand, and introduced himself as John. He asked me to follow him, taking me to a reading room in the back of the store. There, he lit a candle and pulled something wrapped in cloth from his bag. He reached for my hand and said, I had a dream about you. He relayed a story about telling the store clerk, if a dark-haired girl comes to the store and is looking for help with her gifts, to notify him immediately. My head was spinning as I sat in that candlelit space. I didn't understand why this stranger had dreamt about me. He asked if he could do a psychic reading for me. I had no money, but it didn't detour him. I gave my permission. He unwrapped his cloth to reveal something that looked like round seashells. He said a prayer, releasing the shells onto the table and cloth. A smile burst onto his face as he began to tell me things about myself nobody knew. What he said next both fascinated and scared me. Child, you are gifted with sight. So many spirits walk with you. You can see the dead, the angels, and evil. You should not be afraid of it. I didn't believe what I was hearing. He continued, you have much to learn, but first you must allow yourself to see again. I had no idea what he was talking about. See again? What do you mean, see again? I asked. John laughed as he waved a bundle of sage over my head. Open your other vision. Open your ears. Let spirit guide you. You have a purpose. Your gifts have a purpose. He sat down, wrote some notes, put his shells away, and looked at me square in the eyes. I know you are frightened and confused. You have seen much 
in your life, you will see much more if you are willing. Allow your eyes to open again. It will make things easier. He left the room to gather supplies, returning with a black candle, a typewritten prayer, and a sage bundle. He taught me how to smudge and told me to light the candle and say the prayer when I got home. Once home, I poured myself a glass of wine, staring out the window at Mission Bay, unable to grasp what was happening. Hours passed before I finally read the prayer, lit the candle, and asked my vision to return. Nothing happened. No sudden flash of insights, nothing magical. I finished my wine, called Brindy to tell her goodnight, and went to bed. That night, I had a lucid dream where I was sitting in a classroom. Rows of old wooden desks filled the space. I was sitting atop a desk with the teacher sitting on his desk in front of me. No other students were in the classroom. When I woke up, I felt refreshed, grabbed my journal, and jotted down the images in the dreams. I couldn't remember the subject taught, just that I was in the class. I knew the dream meant something. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to look in the dream symbol book to find out. It would have to wait until after work. Working food and beverage trade shows kept me busy, traveling every other weekend with little time to think. However, my boss Susan had a never-ending supply of new ideas and flashes of insight constantly. Unfortunately, she had a habit of sharing her thoughts through phone calls in the middle of the night. I was worn out, but I knew better than to say no to Susan. As the company grew, Susan was occupied with investors and her new home. That gave me time after work to focus on myself. The first order of business was to catch up on bills. Paying bills was irritating. There always seemed to be more bills than paycheck. I sat down to write out checks when I had a sudden flash of insight. Almost audibly, something told me to light a candle, pour a glass of wine, and make bill paying a ritual. The voice in my head also told me to write the checks out in a state of gratitude. Instead of remaining in resistance, turn it into a fun event. Wine. Candle? Why not? I grabbed my checkbook, sat down with some classical music, lit a candle, and began writing the checks. Each time I inserted a check into its envelope and put a stamp on it, I thanked the universe that I got to pay the bill with a tenfold return. I imagined all the families that worked for the utility company receiving their paycheck because people like me paid bills. It made me smile. Instead of freaking out that I only had a little money left until next payday, I thanked the universe for its providence. While nothing magical appeared to be happening since my visit to the metaphysical shop, I felt better. My dream life was more lucid and active. I made a habit of writing them down in my journal as soon as I woke up. It seemed there were messages, teachings, 
being strung together each night. I began to notice synchronicities, intuitions, yet I refused to give them any weight. Just as I thought about a vendor, the phone would ring, the very person I was getting ready to call. It repeatedly happened, so I knew it wasn't just a fluke. Nightly, between dreams, and what I can only refer to now as channeling, I furiously noted all the things I was taught by the voice. A step-by-step process emerged that would allow me to create the life of my dreams if followed. I played with the techniques, began controlling my thoughts, and continued to study metaphysics, theosophy, quantum physics. Back in the 90s, there was no internet or Google, yet somehow the correct information found its way to me in sometimes strange, mysterious ways. Books were found on tables at a restaurant with no explanation of who put it there. An angel book with round talismans arrived in my mailbox with no copyright inside, no return address, and no author. One day, on the way home from work, I stopped to grab some smokes. As the cashier got them for me, my eyes were drawn to a $1 lottery scratcher. I asked the cashier to add the scratcher to my purchase. I rarely played scratchers. I got into my car, lit a cigarette, and decided to scratch the ticket. I scratched the ticket with a quarter before looking at the symbols. As I peered at the ticket, I saw $500 twice in a row. Scanning the entire ticket, I saw a third $500. Skeptical I had won, I turned the ticket over to read the rules of the game. Three matching amounts on any row wins that amount. Shocked, I took the ticket back into the store. Handing it to the cashier, I asked if it was a winner. He looked at me, at the ticket, and smiled. He said, you won $500. Congratulations, you're lucky. He then processed the ticket, handing me $500. You can imagine my excitement. I was so happy. There was a doll Brindy had wanted that I didn't have the money to buy. I drove straight to Toys R Us and got her the doll. When I called her that night, I told her I had a surprise for her. It felt good to have the money to get her something special. As I practiced the steps I had learned, I found that consciously drawing in and creating things into my life was getting easier. The lottery win made me think about creating something more significant. All the material I was studying on quantum physics made me feel the things I received from the voice and wrote in my journal gave me the ability to create my reality. The voice, which I began calling spirit, told me I would teach others someday, reminding me of the vision I had before everything in my life fell apart. I brushed it off, but I wanted to put the manifesting thing to the test. I told spirit, if it works, I will teach others, but only if it works consistently. Rent in San Diego was super high. I felt like I was throwing my money away. My dream was to buy a condo on the beach in Mission Bay. I couldn't afford one, but 
That was my dream. I wrote my desire in my journal and went to bed. Before I woke up, I heard a voice asking, what about a boat? You can afford a boat. Before my eyes were even opened, I responded, I don't know anything about boats. Later that day, a friend invited me to the San Diego Boat Show. Boat show? That's odd. I just had a dream having something to do with boats. I told him I'd go. I was in shock as I walked through the boat show. These weren't boats. They were yachts. Many were nicer than my apartment. I asked my friend, a sailboat person, how much they cost. He ran through the various choices available in power versus sailboats. As we were leaving the show, he grabbed a boat trader magazine for me. I shoved it in my purse and forgot about it. At dinner, I asked about the possibility of living on a boat in San Diego. He told me some marinas allowed it. Availability was small, but it was worth checking. There were too many synchronicities with this crazy boat thing. Searching through the boat trader when I got home, I found most boats were in my price range, just under $100,000. I excitedly wrote a list of everything I wanted in a boat. First, it had to have two bedrooms and two baths. I hated the dark, dank smell of sailboats, so I opted for a powerboat. Next, I wanted something light with lots of windows. Last, I wanted a bathtub. I wasn't sure bathtubs were available on boats, but if they were, I wanted one. Based on what I was reading, it didn't matter if I knew how it would happen. It was just up to me to ask for what I wanted. According to everything I knew, the how was up to the universe. Manifesting a boat was the perfect test. I put my list away and went to bed. Monday came, and I had done a ton of research on used boats. I walked into my boss's office and announced, I'm going to buy a boat. I want to live on the water, and you can't get any closer than in a boat. Susan didn't have limitations. She lit up like a Christmas tree and repeated back to me, you're going to buy a boat. I skipped back to my office working on paperwork. When I got home, I wrote in my journal a prayer addressed to Archangel Michael, guides, and Jesus. I know you can hear me, and I hope you will answer. I feel like the boat idea came from you. It's perfect, although a little scary, since I can't drive a boat. If this works, I promise I will do whatever you want. I finally understand the dreams about school. You are teaching me many things. Please watch over Brindy. Please direct me to the perfect circumstances and helpers to make this dream a reality. Thank you for guiding me. B. Attempts to make appointments to see a few boats in San Diego Harbor was a dead end. None had what I wanted, were too old, or just weren't suitable. 
Finally, my ex-boyfriend Drake, who owned a new charter business, offered to fly me to Oxnard to see a boat I liked that was for sale. While he didn't believe I would go through with it, he played along. We flew up north for the day, sadly disappointed by the boats available. Once home, I started making calls to the local marinas. My friend gave me the address of a boat broker in San Diego Harbor. I walked into the sales office and asked to see available power boats. The three salesmen barely paid any attention, telling me they didn't have anything I would like, quickly dismissing me. I was pissed. As I left their office, I whispered under my breath, you condescending assholes. I stopped in a marina down the hill from my apartment before heading home. I had been there before when Brian Thomas took me to show me the wooden boat he wanted to restore. I had forgotten about it until just then. Seaforth Marina was small, but the broker John was a sweetie. I walked into his office and asked if he remembered me. He did, knowing Brian well. I told him what happened at the San Diego Marina and asked for help finding a boat. He immediately opened a binder of local boats for sale. I wrote down a list of what I wanted, how much I thought I could afford, and left. John said he'd check around and see what matched my list. The next day, he called with great news. He located a boat moored in San Diego that fit my list for $89,000. We made an appointment to see it at lunch. Walking on to the 38-foot sport fishing boat called Advantage was surprisingly comfortable. It had a large sun deck, bridge, with plenty of seating upstairs. It was two bedrooms, two baths, light, with a sliding glass door, skylights, and a bathtub. The galley was cute, including a three-quarter size refrigerator freezer. It was perfect. I confessed to John that I didn't know much about boats or how to drive one. I'd driven ski boats, but this was much different. But he reassured me. If I bought it, he would help me find someone to teach me how to drive it. He also wanted me to know about a liveaboard slip available in the Seaforth Marina. I wanted to hug him. But instead, I smiled, thanked him, and told him I would get back to him the following day. I should have been concerned. With no savings account, no credit, and no idea how I would get the money to buy the boat, yet I trusted in the process spirit taught me. Sure, it was happening. Returning from lunch, I bumped into Susan and her new business partner. She had partnered with an independent bank to offer investments and ATMs. I had just finished our company's brochure package and media kit. Susan wanted me to show the partner my work. Once done, I started making calls to boat financing lenders. John had told me CIT was the lender most boat owners used. Since boats are rolling inventory, they are harder to finance than homes. However, that didn't discourage me. According to my calculations, to cover the down payment, expenses for the survey, licensing, and taxes, I needed $25,000 
to purchase Advantage. The broker at CIT ran my credit, the numbers, and let me know I could qualify if I had a big enough down payment. My calculations were correct. It was close to $25,000. Magically, my dream was manifesting. Refreshed, I woke up the next day and headed into the office. I hadn't even put my purse down before Susan came storming into my office. She announced, our partner company likes the marketing package you did for us and wants one like it. It needs to be done quickly and not during normal business hours. They are willing to use you since the quotes from the agencies are so high. It pays $25,000. If you want it, the job is yours. But you've only got a week to have the final product done. They have a trade show and need the materials. Yes, I want it, I told her, barely believing what I was hearing. I met with the partner at 5 p.m. to get all the digital files, orders, and instructions. As soon as Susan left my office, I called John and told him I wanted the boat, promising to bring a deposit the next day. Adrenaline must have carried me through the following week. Aside from working 7 to 5 p.m. for the leasing company, I worked 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. every night to finish the job. The project was due to be delivered the same day I was to take possession of Advantage. Wednesday at 2 a.m., I headed to San Diego for a final press check on the brochures. There was one small paper problem that was thankfully caught before it went for the final print. I made it home at 3.30 a.m. Then I drifted off to sleep. At 5 a.m., my alarm clock shook me out of what felt like a deep 15-minute nap. I brewed some coffee, jumped in the shower, and thanked God for helping me finish the project on time. When I arrived at work, Susan waited at the door to see if the project was printing. I told her it was and went to my office. I was exhausted. I jumped out of bed at 5 a.m. Friday and grabbed a bag with a change of clothes and headed for the office. The print shop delivered the five boxes of materials by 8 a.m. Susan and her partner were happy the job was complete. She hugged me and whispered, your cashier's check is in accounting. Take the day off and get your boat. I ran to accounting, grabbed the envelope, and headed for the marina. John was waiting when I arrived. The CIT broker waited as I signed all the papers, took the check, and offered to drive us to San Diego Harbor. It was a done deal. I owned a 38-foot sport fishing boat. I sat in silent gratitude on the way to get the boat. John showed me how to fire up the boat and had me untie it from the dock. Once beyond the surf, he stepped to the side of the bridge and let me drive. It was a beautiful sunny day in San Diego. The waves were mild, as was the wind. I was the captain of this boat. It felt amazing. John took command and drove the boat to the slip as we approached the jetty. Parking it meant reading the current using both engines 
and carefully sliding it in without hitting another boat. He made it look easy. I knew it wasn't. We tied off the boat, turned off the engines, and plugged into the shore power. He showed me a few things I needed to know and assured me he would be available if I had any questions. His office was within sight of my slip. On the way back to his office, he introduced me to an old boat owner named Al, a friendly man in his late 60s who lived four boats down from my slip. At the time, I didn't know Al would play a part in my boat education. I left John, walked to my car to grab my overnight bag, a bottle of wine, and went to celebrate on my new boat. I felt great appreciation while watching the sunset and absorbing all that had happened in just two weeks. The test had worked with everything lining up without force. The down payment lined up, the boat that matched my list was located, and the financing fell into place quickly. While the work to earn money took sheer determination, it was worth it. I was overcome with tears of joy as I wrote in my journal. Dear angels, God, universe, guides, thank you for everything. I finally feel like everything's going to be okay. From this point forward, I will not doubt you. However you want to use me, demonstrate through me, I'm all yours. Please continue to teach me the mysteries of your ways. Open my eyes to see, my ears to hear, and my heart to understand all you wish me to know. Teach me how to co-create with you in every moment of my life. I miss hearing from the archangels. Please return to me. Just as I finished the last word, a stream of thought began pouring in. My body was suddenly energized, but also filled with deep peace. Rather than trying to figure out where it was coming from, I started writing. Child, we are here for you, always. You've studied well, following your intuition and our guidance. You created the boat because you wanted a home of your own. It was your desire, imagination, and faith that lined up all the people, opportunities, and events. You've done it before, but never realized that was what was happening. When Odie gave you the $10,000 to record your demo, you co-created that. You were writing songs with a strong desire to record them. The joy you held from singing made it easy to manifest the circumstances to bring into physical reality. We've never left you. We never will. You, in your ignorance, were taken off track by the events of your daughter's abuse. You fell into despair, fear, and depression. We are on a much higher frequency vibration than you are in your reality. Fear and negative emotions drop you even lower. It is love, joy, hope, and gratitude that allows you to connect to the subtle realms. When you were a child, it was easy to connect. As you got older, the veil of illusion dropped firmly in place. The veil doesn't allow you to see or connect 
to the subtle realms without raising your vibration. Don't misunderstand. We are still here for you. You just can't sense us. For now, use this form of communication. Try to remember that you must be in a state of peace, gratitude, appreciation, or hope to connect to the stream of consciousness we are. Continue to study, pray, and be of good cheer. We know you are worried about Brindy. You may use the same method to bring this circumstance to conclusion as you did to co-create the boat. Write down what you desire. Have faith it will come, and the rest will be taken care of. Rest now, child. The words flowed as if I was transcribing from dictation. It didn't feel like my own thoughts or sound like my words. This had a different feeling to it. That's it. It had feeling to it. When I analyze things, I'm not feeling. I'm thinking. Somehow it was different. These were words birthed from feelings. Channeling, I heard and felt. My books were still at my apartment, but I know I had one that mentioned channeling. I sighed as I remembered I still had to move out of my apartment. Most of my furniture was already sold or spoken for. Brindy's toys were divided between a storage unit and the boat. Her new room had a queen-size bed with storage cubbies. I was so excited to show her our new home. I hadn't seen her much in the last two weeks. I had plans to take her to the park for a few hours on Sunday, though. I fell asleep from the back-and-forth rocking of the boat, with the sound of waves hitting beside my bed. Waking up to the sound of barking sea lions, it took me a minute to figure out where I was. The clock said it was 6 a.m. I grabbed my shorts, a hoodie, and put on my Ugg boots. I headed out to grab some coffee. Just down the marina from my boat slip, a cafe run by the Deep Sea Fishing Charter was open and busy. I sat at the counter, ordered coffee, and took in all the sounds of my new life. Everyone at the cafe was warm and friendly. Something about the ocean relaxed people. I was excited to be a part of this atmosphere and this marina community. I finished my coffee, went back to the boat, grabbed my purse, and headed for the apartment. This would be the easiest and best move I've ever made. I breathed a sigh of relief after loading the last of my belongings on the boat. So much of my possessions and my furniture were gone. Letting go of old things was overwhelming at first. However, once everything was sorted, it felt liberating. I kept a few files, books, toys, and bikes in a small storage locker. Aside from that, I started my new life with minimal belongings. Living on a boat meant everything had to be secured and tied down when not docked. The less I had to do when I was ready to leave the dock, the better. A few days after arriving at the marina, Al stopped by to see if I needed anything. We talked casually, and he asked to see the boat. 
while letting him look around. He wondered how good I was at driving it. I began laughing. I don't know how to dock it or anchor it properly. His face lit up as he exclaimed, You can learn. I can teach you. I had prayed that someone would show up to teach me about owning a boat. Old Al was the perfect teacher. One afternoon, Al pulled my boat into the bay, away from the docks. He shut down the engines as the boat rocked back and forth. He taught me about the engine room, the control panel, inside the boat, and the radio. He taught me how to start the engines and cut one or both in an emergency. Next, he had me spin the boat around, steering it with only the throttle. Using forward and reverse, I turned the boat in place several times. Once Al was satisfied with my ability, we drove over to the fuel dock. Since no other boats were around, he felt safe having me glide the boat to the dock, using only the engines. Gauging the tide, the current, and distance, I approached the fuel dock slowly. While a little scary, I accomplished the task on the first try. Al wanted to challenge me, so instead of pulling away from the dock, he told me to back it out straight, perpendicular to the dock. While a little more challenging, I backed it out, turning the boat away from the dock without incident. It may sound simple, but it's not. Driving a large boat using only forward and reverse throttles, pushing against the currents, took serious concentration. I had a new respect for boat captains. We drove back to our marina, where I now had the task of parking my boat between two others. It took a few tries to pull in, back out, and start over, but I finally did it. Unfortunately, the current in the bay was a more significant factor than I realized. The boat drifted dangerously close to hitting my neighbor's boat. Thankfully, Al was able to correct my error in judgment and avoid a collision. Grateful for his instruction, I went to the market to grab a six-pack of his favorite beer. Sitting on the back deck of my boat, drinking and talking, felt amazing. Before long, other boats were coming in from fishing. I met a few boat owners that had slips across from mine. Al knew everybody. He was the marina staple. But I heard weeks later, they all assumed my dad, or rich boyfriend, bought the boat for me. <laughs> Who was I to correct them? I was feeling more at home than ever before. I ached to share it with Brindy. She knew I had moved on to the boat, but she had no reference of what living on a boat meant. She loved the water. It wasn't hard for her to be excited. Barking sea lions, seagulls, pelicans, and weekend fireworks from SeaWorld were enough to make her happy. Six months had passed since going into foster care. I had met all the counseling requirements. Now it was up to social services. Initially, the goal for reunification was one year. However, things were not going well at the foster home. The social worker called me on a few occasions, reporting problems between Brindy 
and some of the other girls. Elva, the foster mom, had been a foster parent for over nine years. She had many girls that lived with her for over two years. Brindy was one of the youngest girls. She and Elva's biological daughter were fighting. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Gold Factor Podcast. Want some free resources? Well, join my Facebook community, a group of heart-centered, ambitious individuals just like you. Just go and visit the link in the description, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups, the gold factor. And remember, if you're enjoying the book so far, follow the podcast, leave a review. I'd really appreciate it as we're launching and growing the podcast and share it on social media. All right. I'll see you in the next episode. Have a great day. Be blessed and be a blessing.